Uh, my name is Noah, uh, Noah Chung, and I'm at the Bridgeport location. Excited to share the Word of God with you all. Um, we will be today in John 10. So if you have your Bibles or if you need one, there's um, some in the back. Um, in our house Bibles, it will be on page 896, 896. Um, you know, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we are in the I Am series in John, which are statements that Jesus Christ makes about himself. For each of these I Am statements, they serve as helpful metaphors about Jesus that describe his saving relationship to us. You know, the first week, Pastor Kenson talked about how Jesus was the bread of life and how Jesus was the only one that can eternally satisfy our hunger. Last week, Rave talked about how Jesus is the light of the world, how darkness filled our hearts, but then Jesus confronted our own sin and evil and showed us the way. But today, we will be talking about one of the more um, least, kind of the least well-known uh, I am statements in John. And so if you have your uh, passage ready, we're going to be reading from John 10, 7 through 10. Here we go. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are, the th- are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Pray with me. God, we want to thank you for your word this morning as we go through these I am statements. God, we know from the very beginning of scripture, you, you declare to Moses and to all of us that you are the great I am. And so God, as we look into how a small snippet of who you are, may we have a greater understanding of just who you are and how that uh, applies to our lives and how that affects how we walk day to day. It's your name we pray, amen. You know, uh, Clive Staples Lewis was a 20th century Irish philosopher who held prestigious professorships in England at both Oxford and Cambridge, better known to you and me as C.S. Lewis. You know, out of all the things he wrote in his lifetime, he may be best known for his series of children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia. You know, within this series of books, the most famous book that he wrote is entitled The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this book, there are four characters that take center stage. And in this book, those, those kids are displaced from their homes during this time of World War II where bombs and dangers are arriving to them. So they flee and go into a country home. You know, in this country home, there are many, many rooms. And on the first day that the kids are kind of going around, they have to stay inside because it's raining. So they're going around all these different rooms in the house. They go from room to room to see what interesting things lie in each room. Then they come to this one room in particular, and it has this giant wardrobe, a closet, which I have a picture behind me here. Three of the four children decide, ah, that's, that's nothing. Let's just go and find a different room to explore, since there's only one thing in this room. But one child, Lucy, she stays, and she wants to know what's inside this closet, this wardrobe. She opens the door in the giant wardrobe and she steps in. She looks to her right, she looks to her left. Eventually she realizes that this wardrobe opens up to a beautiful world seemingly in another dimension. It would be through this wardrobe that Lucy and the rest of her family, her brothers and sisters, would find adventure, friends, and lessons for their life. In the midst of being displaced due to the bombs and air raids of World War II, they had found paradise in a closet. You know, like Lucy and her siblings, 
We've all kind of played this game in our life before, seeing what is on the other side of the various doors that we can walk through. Inside and seeing what our hearts and our lives are looking for, what is in that door? What can I gain from this room or that room? Some of us are pursuing the doors that lead to success through your work or your education. Some of us are pursuing doors that lead to building good and healthy families or getting married or having kids. Some of us are pursuing doors that lead to safety through investments, through larger homes, through insurances, and everything else that comes after that. You know, in our lifetime, we go through many different doors every single day. But when we look at our passage today, Jesus is declaring that out of all the doors that you literally or figuratively go through, though many are good doors to go through, Jesus is saying, I am the only door that truly matters. I am the only door that truly matters. Jesus is saying that I am not a door or one of the doors in life. I am the door of life. So for our time, I simply want to answer three questions to help us understand what Jesus is talking about here. And the three questions that I have are, what is the door? Why do we ignore the door? And how do we enter the door? So first, what is the door? What does Jesus mean here? You know, in our passage today, if we go back to verses one through five, you know, Jesus uses a parable of a sheep and a shepherd. And in short, the shepherd, which is Jesus, is the only one who has access to the sheep pen or the sheep. And then the sheep, being those who believe in him, being us, only listen to his voice. You know, now for the Israelites or for the Jews who are hearing this illustration, they would probably have a good idea of what sheep and shepherd are because um, sheep herding was one of the most common traits that they, or trades that they would do ever since back, since Abraham. But most of us probably don't know what a sheep pen looks like or even operates. So uh, back then, if you see the slide behind me, you'll notice that a sheep are within a wall that's constructed by boulders and rocks. And they would be just high enough for that thieves or wolves could not come in and take or, or kidnap the sheep. And then when you look at this picture, you also see there is actually no physical door. There is a shepherd or a gatekeeper who is lying across the entrance of the door. He is the one who is supposed to protect the sheep and also keep the sheep safe within this sheep pen. Any intruder or any person who would want access to that sheep would have to go through the gatekeeper. You know, that's why when we get to verse seven, Jesus says with a strong affirmation, if we look in verse seven, he says, truly, truly, which literally means amen, amen, I am the door of the sheep. But for us, what is Christ the door to? I know for the sheep back here, it's, it's for their sheep pen. But for us, what does this metaphor mean to us? What is he protecting from us or promising for us in the sheep pen? Well, let's look at verse nine of our text. He says again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. For all who enter through the door, through Jesus, you will be saved. You know, this past Friday, we saw yet again the horrific violence and evil in New Zealand where 49 people were killed in a mosque. And sadly for us today, these kinds of mass shootings almost come every often and they are just in the news and many of us might not even have known that this happened. 
But you know, as we go throughout our days and our months and our years, we hear of cases of sexual abuse among leaders, of tornadoes and hurricanes in our country, and of loved ones battling cancer. And on and on, the brokenness in the world goes. Brokenness is deeply in our world. And well, if you haven't personally experienced it, more than likely you will experience it sometime down your life. But here, Jesus promises to save us and bring us to a place where there is no more death or tears, where evil is kept at bay. Jesus is promising heaven. And Jesus himself stands guard to this door of heaven and protecting all of us who are in his sheepfold. But he he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Jesus says, for all who enter to the door, later on he says, you will find pasture. Finding pasture for sheep is like a football team finding an old country buffet after a football game. If you know what that is, old country buffet, it's a very well-known buffet in the suburbs out there. I don't know if they still exist, but they were quite amazing when I was around. Um, But for those who entered the door, Jesus also promises that on the other end, when you enter into the sheep pen, you will find unlimited provisions. Because though we want to be safe and protected, a safe place with no food and water would not last us very long. If you remember, Jesus back in chapter 6 and 7, he talks about, I am the bread of life. I am living water. That once you come to me, you will never go hungry. You will never thirst. Imagine a potluck where there is no such thing as food running out. It's got to be heaven. It's got to be heaven. So what is this door that Jesus claims to be? It is the door to what each one of our hearts desire and long for every single day. A door to eternal protection where safety will abound and eternal provision where nothing will ever lack. Jesus is the only door to eternal life. Sounds great, right? Sign me up, right? Then why isn't there this huge line of people, of us, waiting at this door, wanting to get in, wanting to enter into the safety and this provision that Jesus offers? Why? Well, say one morning you have to get in your car to work. And you get in your car, you put everything inside, your bag, your lunch, your coffee, and finally, after getting everything ready, you start to head off where you need to go. But as soon as you leave your parking spot, you hear this ding, and again later on, ding. You might ignore it at first, but then as you stop at a red light, you're like, hmm, I, I, can, I can reach over to my bag, or I can swipe the phone on my dashboard. I can look at what's, who's texting me, or what kind of notifications I have on my phone. And as soon as you do that, your eyes begin to drift from the road. You know, the center of... Uh, Internet and technology addiction says that our brain instinctively responds to those pings, and if we succumb to it over and over again, it creates an addictive nature to our smartphones. We've all been there before. There is this compulsion, even as you're driving, or you're working on your computer, or you're watching your kids, or you're listening to this sermon, (laughs) that we are distracted by our phones. We've all been there before. And did you know that a recent study showed that the result of looking at your smartphone while you're driving actually creates a slower response than if you were legally driving drunk? Almost 100% of people admit that it's dangerous to look at your phone while you drive, but over half say they do it on a frequent 
faces. So this leads me that a smartphone is an amazing and useful tool for us, but if we get distracted by it often and often while we drive, it can be quite a dangerous thing while we are driving. So this leads me to my second question. Why do we ignore this door, this door that promises safety and eternal provision? Well, we ignore Jesus because we are so distracted by all the other doors buzzing around us, pinging for our attention. Like a smartphone, they could be good things. They could be our families. They can be our workplaces. They can even be the church ministry. But many of us are pulled in so many different directions because we don't know where we're supposed to go because we're distracted by all these things demanding our attention. And for, and for some in this world, it's so demanding that we crash. Take, for example, the door that leads to prosperity or safety, a common one that we are faced with every single day, the American dream, right? In order to walk through this door, you need to have a well-paying job, you need to invest well in retirement, you need to save well and purchase a good home and have a great and happy family, two and a half kids right there. Now, is this door inherently evil? Of course not, it's not evil. But when that door to prosperity and safety drives all your decision-making and only when you obtain a level of prosperity and safety, that brings you happiness? Well, I think Jesus actually talks about this in verse 8 and 10 of our text. If you look back with me, in verse 8 in the first part, it says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And jumping to verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know, in our passage, if you choose to walk through doors that are not Jesus and expect those rooms, those doors to give you life, these doors are actually thieves and robbers that will steal from you, kill you, and destroy you in the end. Because if prosperity and safety drives all of your decision-making and your life's purpose, what happens when the market crashes and all your funds are pretty much depleted? What happens if you have an unforeseen medical illness to one of your children that depletes your savings and everything that you have? What would you do? Or say that someone else has a better house or a better life or more safety than you, and you always are striving for that thing, for that door. What does that do to your life? What does that do to your heart and your relationship to even those around you? It would steal your joy. It would steal your purpose. It would kill your happiness. And if you kept doing the best to earn more safety and more prosperity, it will eventually lead to a very isolated and empty life, to destruction. That's why... When we look at this, deception and distraction are the ways the devil uses to make us believe that all these other doors that we see around us are viable options for life. For life. You know, going back to C.S. Lewis, he writes this amazing book called Screwtape Letters. And he, he writes this about um, this gradual kind of luring our deception of sin. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You know, in other words, his main task is just to keep us busy enough, distracted enough, and deceived that this thing can bring us life and eventually save us, that this door will bring me the eternal life that only Jesus can offer to us. So church, What is currently distracting or deceiving you? 
What is distracting you? What is deceiving you? Is it money or safety, relationship or family, success or power, comfort or control? What is occupying your thoughts and your time so much that Jesus is not your one and only door? Well, I bet there are some of you in here today that actually believe that Jesus is your one and only door and that you aren't very distracted by other things in life. And for me, that was me too a while ago until I was faced with this reality. You know, one day, uh, God took one thing away from me that I didn't realize was one of my doors. It was my body. You know, I still remember, back about four or five years ago, I had this excruciating experience of having a herniated disc. If you guys know what that is, it's, a, it's one of your discs that are bulging back in, your lower back in your lower back. And it had created so much pain that it inflamed my sciatic nerves, which were going down all my legs. And it felt like someone had lit a fire in my leg, and I could not walk. I couldn't even sit. I couldn't drive. And most nights, I couldn't sleep. You know, I had ignored this kind of problem a while ago, so it's kind of my fault. But when I had experienced such pain and I couldn't do anything, and there were many countless nights where I was just looking at God and saying, God, why I'm in so much pain, I realized that though my body was not something that I was looking for and a distraction for me, my body, my physical health, I mean, I love to play sports. I love to be healthy. I love to, you know, to look good once in a while. But when that came over me, God reminded me just how much that my body wasn't a distraction, it wasn't deceiving me, but I was utterly dependent on my healthy body. Now for some of us, when God wants us to remind us that there are different doors that are distracting us, he also needs time to take away those things that we are potentially dependent on. So when we go through our lives, though there are distractions, things that deceive us, we are also dependent on many other doors to give us life. And only when God takes away those doors in our lives do we realize that we were seeking that door more than seeking the eternal life that Jesus promised us. So are you trusting in Jesus, the eternal life, or are we trusting in something else or depending on something else? No matter who you are, we all have these doors on earth. They distract us, they deceive us, they call our attention. If we are left to ourselves, more than likely we will never choose the door that is Jesus. We will always see the flashy pings of other doors that give us a sense of security and life. You know, scripture points to this, that our natural inclination and desire is not towards God. It's towards ourselves and the doors we choose. And in scripture, we call this sin, which is a denial of God and his ways. You know, Jeremiah the prophet, he says that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. And the apostle Paul says then in Romans 3, 10 through 11, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. If then we are evil and sinful, can we then access the door that Jesus offers to us? Can we access eternal life? No. Even if we wanted to access this door of eternal life, we could not. Just like how Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3, Jesus stands at the door. And if sin is in our lives, we will be rejected into this eternal life. Then it leads me to my third question. How in the world then do we enter into this door? How are we then saved? You know, church, as we 
as we look at this, we are saved by the living door getting up. He gets up out of his protection and he walks out into the darkness, out into the death and evil in this world. And then, right then, he would be slaughtered as a white, innocent lamb so that we as dirty and sinful sheep could be washed clean by his precious blood. The only way for us to enter into paradise and be saved for eternity would be for Jesus, the door to make a way for us. He would have to take upon our sin, our shame, our death, and nail it to the cross. Then in three days, church, you know this story. In three days, he will be raised and seated on the right hand of God as Lord and Savior, defeating all sin and all death. So that when he stands now as the living door, he sees our sin, he sees our brokenness, and he says to us, if you believe in me that I died for you and called you Lord, I can cleanse you and you can come into my sheepfold. You can come in and have eternal safety, eternal provision, because I am the one who has done it all for you. My grace, my love, my sacrifice is allowing you to be in my sheepfold. It is only through Jesus and by Jesus' work that we have eternal life. All we have to do is believe and trust in him. This is the gospel. This is good news, church. Amen? You know, uh, before I share kind of my final thoughts of uh, this passage, I want to kind of draw your attention to a video that we have of a story of someone who has experienced this life transformation and who has chosen the door that leads to eternal life. Let's watch. You can clap. Kenson's not here, so you can clap. <laughs> you know, church, as, as we heard from Kenson, our desire here at Park is for all of you to, reserve, to receive this eternal life. As it says in verse 10 of our text, Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. A life where we experience his love, his freedom and hope now and forevermore, just as Kenson shared. So for those who maybe are here who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, What's, what's holding you back? Because I promise you, whatever door you are trying to walk into, trust me, it will fail you, but Christ will never fail you. If that's you, can you call upon the name of Jesus and make him Savior and Lord? And we as a church would love to walk with you, talk to myself, to Ray, for one of the deacons here at South Loop. But for us in the church who know that Jesus is the door to eternal life, I have one challenge for you. Look to Jesus and do not get distracted. Look to Jesus and do not get distracted. As we saw in Kenson's story, the reality of walking through the door of Christ is that there is a cost. There is a cost to walking through the door. You know, as also myself, as a, as a firstborn of an immigrant family, I cannot imagine the choice that Kenson had to make. Following Christ doesn't mean that we necessarily have to give up good things or that we all have to go into vocational ministry, but it does mean that when decisions of our doors of this one, of, of success, our family, our wealth, our happiness comes, but then there's the door of Christ, we have to choose Christ. We must choose Christ. We stay faithful to our responsibilities here, but our allegiance is always to Christ. 
So one thing that we can do as a church, one practical thing I just wanna share with you before I leave is as we enter, as we are actually in the Lenten season, one thing we can do is practice fasting. The, the discipline of letting go of things that we normally consume are things that we depend on here on earth. Perhaps it's just a meal a day. Perhaps it's fasting one whole day in, throughout the week. Perhaps it's caffeine or sweets or social media or shopping. Something that you crave or that you love so that instead of consuming that, you can spend time and consume your relationship with Christ. That you can love Christ and know him in that way. You know, one helpful tool to kind of add on time with Christ that I recommended to our Bridgeport location, but also to you all, is this Lenten devotional that I've been reading that goes throughout all 40 days of Lent called The Journey to the Cross. It's a free PDF and something that is heavily on scripture, but really helpful for us to let go of things, but to add on, add on prayer, add on scripture, add on time with Jesus. And I'll share this with you perhaps on the Facebook page or even in the app within South Loop so that you guys can have access to that. Church, let's be a people who do not get distracted or deceived by other doors that give partial life, but let's be a people that walk through the door promising Jesus Christ who promises eternal life and eternal provision for all who believe in him. Let me pray. God, we wanna thank you for this time and God, your word this morning. God, we just thank you for the story of Kenson and even as that story is amongst many here today, God, we pray that as we look to you, that as we see all the attractive other things in life, the doors in life, God, help us to walk through Christ. Help us to know that you are the only one that promises eternal life, eternal satisfaction, God, so that we can have life and life to the full here and now and forever throughout eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.